0: Episode 49 with ESPN's Brian Winhurst. Just a kid from Akron, like LeBron says. Brian Winhurst, the St. Vincent, St. Mary High School graduate, went on to Kent State, Akron Beacon Journal, Cleveland Plain Dealer, and now ESPN. It's great to see Brian continuing to rise. His profile has clearly risen over the last quite a few years uh, with ESPN doing TV, radio, journalism. He's covering it all. He's working uh, the NBA route and has been covering the NBA for 15 years now. So I was honored to have Brian join me for a 30-minute conversation about his path, his relationship with LeBron, and uh, what he does currently with ESPN. So uh, another fascinating, insightful conversation. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy the one and only Brian Winhurst.
1: The Optimal Life.
0: appreciate you taking the time it's uh it's nice to finally get get a hold of you You're like the busiest guy i know yeah i'm sorry <laughs> that
1: it was um but i had to put you off but i just really just you know in in from april to, to july i just i don't
0: have free time oh i could imagine i totally so, understand plus, man. plus
1: i have an eight month old oh wow and so you know when i'm home like you know uh <coughs> uh, you know, I have responsibilities with, with him. So.
0: Is that your first? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, you are in the thick of it right now. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: you know, I was, I didn't mean to be, uh, dismissive, but I really just didn't have wiggle.
0: No, no, so. no. It's totally fine, man. I'm just happy to, to finally get a hold of you and I appreciate your time. Uh, where, where are you living now?
1: I live in Omaha, Nebraska.
0: Ah, okay. So when, when, uh, Cause you you know from from Akron, Ohio to Omaha. So how did you get to uh, how did you end up getting out to Omaha? What what led you there? My um
1: my my wife is from here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we um, you know, I lived in in Cleveland obviously for a long time, and then I lived in Miami for a few years. I lived in New York City for a few years, and um, we just decided. Uh, a few years ago that you know, if we were going to have a family that um, we needed to put down roots someplace where, where you know where she had family uh, I have a small family and they're kind of scattered so uh, you know, her whole family is here I think the other thing about it, the, NBA, um, the NBA the NBA the, the spheres of influence the center of gravity in the NBA is always going to is always going to move you know, know? Um, you know for example for years Miami was a capital of the NBA like there was you know, thirty to fifty really important games played in Miami a year. I don't know about fifty, but you know, twenty five plus really important games played in Miami a year. Now maybe there's two, maybe there's less, you
0: know. <laughs> that's so true.
1: And you know, the NBA used to camp in Miami for two months every spring and now it is not involved in Miami and right. and Cleveland's been that way for four years and now that's not gonna be. And right now Golden State's, you know, helping the NBA and in three years that may not be the case. So if you're gonna move around um, you're always going to be somewhat chasing.
0: Sure, sure. It makes total sense. Um,
1: so I just decided I'm going to go someplace where I want to be and can see myself for a long period of time. And I'll just change my flight plan depending on where it goes because you're never going to be, you know, populated in the best spot. I mean, um, things always change. So Absolutely. That's, that's why I,
0: I ended up coming. Well, the here. nice thing is you have the flexibility working for ESPN to be able to do that. Um, which, which makes things nice for you. Let's, let's talk about real quick before we get in. I want to get into a little bit about your background, but uh, let's talk about the obvious thing real quick just to get it out of the way. What were your thoughts about LeBron going to the Lakers uh, this offseason?
1: Yeah, you know, this is a bit of a different move for him. Um, I'll be interested to see some of the things that he's saying in like January and February because one of the things I've learned over the years is even though LeBron is very thoughtful and, um, and plans things out in advance. He also is somewhat of a guy who's moody, and his moods and his feelings in July are different from his moods and feelings in midseason. And anybody who's spent any time with him knows that this is true. Right. So, um, you know, I've watched him over the last few years really be focused on getting the absolute most out of the next game. You know, he's he said repeatedly this season that we want to get the most out of this season. And he's applied pressure to his teams, both in Miami and in Cleveland, to maximize the season that we're in right now. Don't talk to me about two years from now. Don't talk to me about luxury tax maintenance and and leaving options open and protecting draft picks and whatever. How are we going to win the championship this year? And now he's saying the exact opposite, that he's willing to wait and that he knows it's going to be a process and everything like that. And, hmm. you know, when he came to Cleveland, he said, I know it's not going to happen overnight. That was kind of lip service because he did want it to happen overnight. Um, and so to me, um, him at age 33 going to a team that he knows isn't a championship contender is a real pivot. And yeah. I know, I know what he's saying, you know, he's saying all the right words. He's saying that, um, you know, behind the scenes that this is a, you know, that this is a, um, you know, a whole life decision and not just a basketball decision. But when he's in the middle of the basketball season, I wonder how he's going to take it.
0: Yeah, um, that's interesting. So we'll, we'll see. Well, about if anyone that. knows him uh, in terms of the, the reporter-player relationship, obviously you are the guy. Uh, you guys graduated from the same high school is, is that did you know about him like what, while you were even in high school or when you were like in college no, how did that come no, about
1: I'm, uh, let's see, I'm I'm seven years older than him okay so when I was in high school he was just a little kid yeah um, and uh, actually when I was in high school our basketball team was not good uh, boys team our girls team won the state championship but our boys team wasn't good right and um, I became aware of him when they were in eighth grade uh, because I was working at the local paper by that time, and his team finished second in a national tournament. And, um, you know, uh, the Akron, Ohio area has long been known for producing football players, but really it still isn't, although it's, it's, in, it's, in, it's gotten better, but really is not known for producing basketball players. So when we heard that this group of eighth graders from Akron had finished second in this national tournament, it was kind of surprising. Yeah. And then not only that, but all all of them—I think there was five or six of them—were all going to go attend the same high school, and uh, lo and behold, it was the high school that I went to.
0: That had to be and pretty so cool, was, yeah. You're like, finally, you know, we're going to turn around this basketball thing here.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I didn't know, but I mean, I thought it was a pretty good um, it was a pretty good sign. Hmm. You know, but typically you don't get excited. It's not like college where you get excited about freshman players. Typically, freshman mean you're going to be good in two or three years, not
0: immediately. Um, so you so, were at the, were you at the Beacon uh, get, Journal at that point? Yes, you were at I, was, the Beacon. I was finishing yeah.
1: college, but um, was I was I, no, I was still in college when he came to high school. okay, um, But I was working part-time. And so I actually went to his first game because I wanted to see these kids because I'd heard about them. But I didn't know that, like, the one was any better than the other. Like, I wasn't aware that this one kid was head and shoulders. I just knew that there was a group of freshmen. Uh-huh. Um, and so I went to see his first game, and very quickly you could tell that he was uh, better than... But, you know, there were other good players on that team. Maverick Carter was on that team. Right. who was going to play in college. And, you know, again, I, he was just going to Western Michigan, but in Akron, if you had a kid who was a MAC player, that meant you had a really good team. You know, this wasn't uh, a, an area that pumped out players to Duke and North Carolina every year.
0: Right. So they
1: had Maverick Carter, and they had another player who was um, a French, I believe he was French, uh, transfer uh, student. He was actually an African, descent. actually, like a lot of... Um, nba french players of african descent but grew up in france right and um was a was a transfer like you know an exchange student you know that they had had come to the united states to get noticed and he was really good and then they had this freshman so it was like when you watch them play you saw this freshman who wore number 32 and thought he's pretty good uh he has a chance to be a really good player. Um, and boy, does he have great size for being 14 years old. Yeah, that's amazing. But, you, but when I watched him play as a 20-year-old or 21-year-old, I couldn't say, oh, my God, he's going to be a great player. But the coach, who previously was a college coach, he told me, he goes, he could be the best player I've ever coached in my career. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really know the coach that well. Um, and, you know, you, do, you know, in journalism, even when you're young, you're a little – bit skeptical of hyperbole and all that <laughs> stuff sure. um, but by midway through his freshman year you could tell he was special and then he had a he had a really incredible state tournament run um there were three or four games that they had in the state tournament where he completely stood out uh one of the games uh, was in the regional finals so they sort of the round of eight and uh, they were playing uh, Villanova St. Joseph from Cleveland, which is a historic basketball power. <clears throat> and uh, Maverick Carter fouled out of that game with probably six or seven minutes to go. Maybe he fouled out in the third quarter. I just remember like the whole fourth quarter they were going to have to play without Maverick Carter, who was like their fully their team leader. And you're in the you know in the state quarterfinals, you're talking about a pretty big game. And LeBron just completely took over the game. Uh, down the stretch and dominated, and they won the game, and then when they went to the state tournament, the state Final Four, um, they uh, um. um he was awesome in those two games. So by the time he was at the end of his season, you could tell that not only was he more than just a standout, but he was this really special player. Oh, that's awesome.
0: So uh, you're at the Beacon Journal. I assume you started covering him then throughout his high school career?
1: Yeah, I covered him a lot his first two years. Um, uh, I would say his first two years, let me think about this. I probably covered maybe thirty or so of his games his first two years. Then his junior year, I wasn't really covering him that much because of um,
0: I was covering Kent State. Uh, That was the year that they went to the Elite Eight. Oh, what a season! What a season that was. That was so magical, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I really, in fact, I wasn't at the uh, when they lost in the state tournament. It happened the same weekend that Kent was playing. (laughs) <laughs> excuse me, in the NCAAs. So I just wasn't there. I mean, I was aware of everything that was going on, but I wasn't there.
0: Yeah, you know, my um, brother my brother actually played against him that season. I think you wrote about it in that book that you co-authored, uh, I believe, where my brother played for Brush. And they played each other that season at that uh, Fast Break on the Lake tournament. The infamous Roy Hall shoving him into the stands. Oh, uh, Yeah. Yeah. My brother was on that team, and, and uh, in fact, he was the uh, victim of LeBron's Tomahawk slam dunk that you wrote about. <laughs> that, was, that was my brother who, who was getting dunked on. <laughs> yeah. It was um, amazing, man. It was an amazing experience to see well, that. Well,
1: that's sort of the thing. Like A lot of, a lot of people, um, you know, uh, by the time he was a junior and a senior, it got to the point where everybody knew they were playing against a historically great player. So every single one of these games – no matter the circumstances, no matter what they called the game, whether it was a special event, it was just an average game. They all became
0: events. Yeah, they did. That was a spectacle. Um, I've never seen a high school game like that, and, and I'm sure they were even bigger than this. Was just brush. I mean, they were decent, but I can't imagine some of the other games against some of the other powerhouses out there.
1: Right. Yeah. You know. So he had. You know, he had a couple of big games. The Oak Hill, which took on a special Hill.
0: meeting. Yeah.
1: And uh, before he played, I believe when he was a sophomore. Before he played Oak Hill for the first time, Carmelo was not on that team. They played Oak Hill three times. Mm-hmm. The first time, their best player was a center named Sakana Jap.
0: Yeah, well, he wasn't he one of those African French guys that you kind of talked about before, right? Well, he was
1: from Senegal, but I don't Senegal. think he he, okay. he never he never spent any time in France that I knew of. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, the second year, you know, because Oak Hill changed their team over every year. The second year was the year of the Mello game. Mello being a senior, where he and Mello had an epic duel, and Oak Hill won that in Columbus. The game was in Columbus, um, and then uh, I think it was in Columbus, or maybe it was in New Jersey. I can't remember. Um, and then uh, this, the senior year, was the game that was on national television.
0: Yeah, that had to be really I neat see. for you, man. Did, so, so yeah. did your relationship with LeBron basically start at that time? You guys started becoming, I guess, relatively close when he was in high school.
1: I don't know. I mean, you know, you're a member of the media who's 22, and he's oh, man, I was over. That I was like 24, and he's like 18. I mean, I I don't know. I don't think I've ever been "quote unquote" close with them. I just think the reality really? is when you've been when you've been around for so long, mm-hmm. you tend to take on a certain uh, relationship. You know, number one because there's an understanding and there's a historical context and also because sure. we went to the same high school
0: um yeah i would imagine that would have you helped know. you know a comfort level or, or at least well yeah, I mean, to... my
1: mother taught at that high school for a long time so we had my mother in class yeah my sister was a, was a, a year or two ahead of him so he knew my sister because it was a small school um you know i spent time with his mother so you know again i'm not going to f- I, i'm not going to thanksgiving dinner at their house sure. i'm certainly not a family friend but i've been around and i think there's a there's a you know if you're just around i think you there's any you and you go through things together like you go through the whole thing where he got suspended for the jerseys and you go through the hard road trip as a rookie and you go through when well, they have the coaching change and the ownership change and, you know, you go through certain things. I mean, when you're there with them when they've been through some stuff, it sort of forms a little bit of a bond. And you do that year over year over year. It, you know, creates a bit of a
0: bond. Yeah, so. well, I think there was a lot of general sentiment here in Cleveland, at least, that uh, you were really the guy. And when he ultimately made his decision to go to Miami the first time in 2010 – that was when your profile was greatly elevated when you got the offer to, to join ESPN, correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, that was, it, it was it was not a simple decision because first off, you have to understand LeBron was really upset with the media and upset with ESPN because the 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 decision went so horribly wrong, and he was so viciously criticized for it. Um, that when he started in Miami, he was very, very in a shell and very, very anti-ESPN. And ESPN comes into Miami with this heat index, which at the time was a new phenomenon that ESPN would get into local coverage. Now we cover dozens of teams on a local level that, you know, accelerates to national whenever we do something. But you know the, the concept of ESPN, a national outlet, having beat writers assigned to individual teams at the time was unheard of, and so the the Heat were skeptical of us. LeBron was skeptical of all the media, um, and even though I had a connection with him, I think he saw it as, in a way, was part of Cleveland following him that he didn't want. So I was heavily criticized in Cleveland for leaving, even though I thought it was a no-brainer to take the job, and I was not welcomed in Miami. It was a very <laughs> unhappy time. Yeah, I would imagine. Those first few months. I mean, yeah. I think there's a there was an assumption that it was wonderful, but right. reality was not. Now, as the years went by in Miami, everything sort of fell away. The team ended up becoming a success. The move became a success. We got settled. Everybody realized we were not there to... Uh, try to you know do sensationalized scandal reporting or whatever. Yeah. And it was fine, but the early going in Miami was challenging. It was not something that you would say was a was a dream situation. So, um, and I know at the end of the day, nobody really cares about that. But I I, I think that there was this assumption that oh you're down in Miami having
0: the, the time of your life, and that just that wasn't true. That's interesting. Well, you know perceptions always. Well, perception is reality, but perception is typically different from what's truly reality behind the scenes and uh, sounded like it was no different for you guys. I'd imagine while you guys are kind of tied at the hip in terms of a a career path together because uh, you've obviously been instrumental in covering LeBron um, over the top, I'm sure at times, and, and part of that has also elevated you throughout the years. Um, I'd still imagine that your relationship with him has to be very unique. I I assume it's been a lot of hot and cold throughout his career.
1: Yeah, I mean, but also we've sort of evolved into different things. Like one Mm -hmm. of the things that's happened over the last four years is LeBron has taken control of his media uh, presentation. Uh, He has founded his own uh, media platform in Uninterrupted. And he now handles a lot of his media... With that, And, um, you know, he even does like little press conferences and announcements that way. Yeah. And so in a way, LeBron has moved away from the media for the last four years because he can, because he's so high profile and so powerful. Why would you um, not control the message more? I mean, it's not a personal thing. Totally. And over the last four years, I have taken on more of a national role. And I still spend a lot of time in the last four years with his team, which was the Cavs. And then the future will be the Lakers. Um, I spent more time with that team than any other team for sure. But, um, you know, I haven't been a beat writer on his teams now in, in four years. And I haven't lived in the same place as he has now for six years. I do spend a lot of time again with him. And I, I spent a lot of time in LA for the last two and a half seasons. Um, We've had a daily NBA show, The Jump, that I work on um, six to eight days a month that's produced out of L.A. Mm -hmm. So I've spent six to eight days a month in L.A. for two and a half years. Um, So, you know, it's a year-round show. So you figure that out. It's 50 to 60 days in L.A. So. You know, one of the things that a lot of people are saying to me is, oh, I'll bet you're moving to L.A. now, aren't you? And I (laughs) say, well, you know, I actually haven't lived where LeBron has lived for six years, and I've been spending a lot of time in L.A. for the last two and a half years. So I'll be spending a lot of time in L.A., but I already was.
0: So, um,
1: I mean, while it's been wonderful to be able to be parallel with him and report on him, over the last four years, I think both of us have moved in other directions just
0: for various reasons, including that we just want to grow in our options. Absolutely. And, uh, but you will be so, if I understand you correctly, you will be uh, covering the Lakers now more than the Cavs, or will it be a mix? Yeah, I mean, I think in
1: general ESPN will be covering the Lakers more than the Cavs. That's um, a good point. Just as the last four years we've covered the Cavs more than the Lakers. Yeah, okay, so, um,
0: I got you. Uh, but I will not be the b writer on the team. Okay. That, um, and I have been
1: the b writer on his team for four years
0: what's the favorite thing that you do at ESPN what's your favorite thing of all the things you're doing
1: um you know the the great thing about ESPN that I love is the multi platforms that you can be on so it is not unusual during the season or during a, a real thick part of the schedule like the free agency or trade deadline or wherever where I will do television radio and write a story for print uh before noon wow um and there are days when I am uh, on four or five different television shows and two or three different radio shows and record a podcast and, um, and we'll do a news story and a feature story. And um, uh, at any one time, I may be working on a feature magazine, um, developing a news story, and then have a piece of breaking news. I may do SportsCenter at 9 a.m., uh outside the lines at 1 p.m the jump at 3 p.m sports nation at 4 p.m sports center again at 6 and uh, 11 p.m that is not an unusual day that's it and and so to be able to do all of those platforms and also um i have a studio inside my house and um i've done as many as four different shows in a day i remember there was one day during this last season where i did um Sports Center Outside the Lines, PTI, and Countdown from my home studio.
0: Wow, that's amazing. Um, and so that's amazing. The, the,
1: the, the ability to do all those different things, to have fingers and all those different pies, even though you're still talking about the NBA in various forms and all of them, that is what is really enjoyable about ESPN.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's really neat. Um, and and uh, obviously, <laughs> hence the reason you're always so busy and, and you have continued to grow in your career. Uh, what, what has the social media done for your career? Has it been positive or negative?
1: I mean, I think generally it's been positive because it's increased the awareness level of it. Um, the, the thing about it is I think um, when you're looking at putting together a, a reporting job um, – there's very there's a lot of facets to it, especially if you're working at ESPN. You know, there's if you had a pie chart, you spend this much amount of time on television, you spend this much amount of time on radio, you spend this much amount of time writing, you spend this much amount of time doing the reporting, which is having calls with people and texting with people and reading and watching and analyzing. That's a big part of the job. And social media is a piece Of that pie you spend a piece of your time and a piece of your in of your uh, attention on it I think that some people have elected to make to put themselves in the driver's seat and say that social media is driving the bus I think it's a passenger like everybody else not everybody agrees with me so I see it as a limited
0: interesting yeah um,
1: a limited aspect of it and I think one of the things That our research at ESPN has showed us is that while social media may be very, very uh, relevant to a small section of people, in the grand scheme of things, it still is a small section of people. Now, those folks who are invested in those individual platforms are really, really invested. They are, Um, yeah. uh, But it still is a niche audience. And so it's important to remember that that doesn't define... You Part of the niche audience of social media, however, is the media. So a lot of times media reacts to social media more than the public reacts to it. It's important to understand that. That's a healthy
0: perspective, man. I think you have a unique perspective on that because a lot of people do feel like it's like the end all and uh, it's not. Well,
1: there was an interesting study and I don't know how scientific it was, but I think they asked a thousand people how they learned of the LeBron that LeBron signed with um, the Lakers. And I think I saw that um, 22% saw it on national television, 14 or 15% saw it on Facebook, and 7% saw it on Twitter.
0: Right.
1: And for people who are on Twitter, they would be shocked that 7% uh, saw it on... Um, only saw it there. Yeah, but they that's think that's just
0: the, the whole reality. world. Yeah. Um You're talking you about twenty percent there about twenty to twenty five percent of people that probably saw it on social media in totality. The remainder probably saw it elsewhere.
1: Yeah, national television, yeah. um you know, uh a, a lot of people actually saw it via you know, alerts to their phones.
0: Sure. Yeah. Push notifications. Um, I don't
1: know if that I don't think that counts as social media, but you know, various news breaking alerts. Yeah. Um but it's interesting uh, not actually scrolling through uh, Instagram or
0: whatever. But uh, real quick, I know we're we're going to be uh, wrapping up shortly, but uh, who who? How does th- when you've talked about those crazy long days where you're doing six different things? Uh, who's booking that for you, and and how far in advance are you being told what you what you need to do?
1: Well, you know, at ESPN, you know, you serve many different masters. So basically, the person who's in charge of your schedule is you. And so, I mean, one of the things about ESPN is that. You know, there's a lot of people who work there and a lot of talented people who work there, but if you are a producer on the Noon Sports Center, you're only tangentially aware of what's happening on the other shows, and you you really only care about making your show as good as possible. So there have been many, many, many occasions where I will be on television, um, on Sports Center, you know, at 9.30 in the morning, and a Sports Center producer from the noon sports center is calling me incessantly trying to reach me because they have no clue because they're working on their show. Um, and, you know, the radio producer who's doing um, who's booking, Will Kane's show at three o'clock is trying like crazy to reach you at one and pounding you with texts and phone calls because he's trying to do the best he can for Will Kane. But I'm on outside the lines at that moment. You know and so you are really beholden to doing it yourself and what's important about the job for me is you know what they want is they want your inside knowledge and your reporting but you have to remember that you have to do that inside reporting you have to take time to make sure you have that so sometimes you know, you have to put your hand up and say, "I just can't do this right now." Right. And you have to play traffic cop a little bit, and that's one of the things that you learn when you come to ESPN. And they don't hand you a booklet, and you know, you don't go through a, a, an orientation on your first day, and they say, "This is how it's going to be." You have to, you have to learn as
0: you go along. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating, man. I'm really, it's always cool to see a guy, a local guy from around here, continuing to move up and elevate. Your profile has clearly elevated over the years. Um, I think you do a phenomenal job on uh, on TV um, when I see you. I've been so busy with my kids that I've kind of taken a backseat to the sports thing for a while. Um, but it's awesome to see you continuing to develop, continuing to grow. Um, plans for the future? I assume you plan on just continuing to do the NBA thing with ESPN for the foreseeable yeah, future? I, th- I think, you know... I've covered the NBA for 15 years
1: I'm pretty invested in it You never know what the future holds But uh-huh. um, Things are always changing Sometimes the changes are Things you control and Sometimes they're not But um, uh, so I've been fortunate to cover the league I think the league is in a really good place Yeah uh, Going forward I mean there's a lot of young stars When LeBron does eventually retire there's going to be a drop off because he is one of the highest profile athletes um, in the last 50 years, um, <laughs> but there is a lot of interest in the league. A lot of young people are invested in the league, and I think that's uh, uh, I think it's a good sign. The television ratings, which are which are sinking, and just about every other aspect of um, American culture, are increasing in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's a it's it's in, the sport is in a good place right now. Although that is fragile. Um, I can remember the many people talking about how great of a place golf was in, uh, you know, 10 years ago, and now golf is very much in a recession. Until so, Tiger
0: Woods drove into the tree. Yeah, so, um, you know, you never
1: can tell. You never, you know, you, you, things are always changing in our, in our world where um, people's tastes can change and shift. So um, I do think that the NBA is in a good place. I'm, I'm, I'm happy and,
0: and glad that I've invested in it. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. Continued success to you. Uh, and like you said, as LeBron's dropping off, you know what? His son will be coming in, so it'll keep. We'll keep the train rolling. <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll see about that. I'm yeah. not so sure that LeBron's son getting all this attention is the greatest idea in the world for him. But uh, uh, he certainly is talented for sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, hey, man. Like I said, appreciate you. Uh, people can find you on Twitter at Brian Winhurst ESPN. Is that right?
1: Yeah, it's
0: Winhurst ESPN. But ESPN. Uh, Twitter's not the be all end all. But it's uh, not. anybody who follows me. I appreciate it. Awesome, man. Hey, like I said, thank you so much. Continued success to you, and uh, we'll stay in touch.
1: All right, take care. Good luck with everything.